0: Welcome to Dalera Talks, the Business English Communication Podcast for non native professionals. My name is Paula and I am co hosting this show with Simon.
1: In this podcast, we're going to be covering communication advice and tips to help express yourself with confidence in English and professional settings. So we hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back everybody to another episode of talera talks my name is simon and wherever you are as always i hope you're having a great day um another amazing episode uh today and an amazing guest that we're very excited to uh speak with paula first off how are you doing
0: Hi, Simon. I'm doing great. We're in the middle of our HR month. So yeah, things are moving fast, but it's always great to have these awesome conversations with great speakers. So yeah, how are you today?
1: I'm doing well, doing well. As you said, yeah, very excited about our HR culture month, um, which, you know, we're covering so many different events uh, focused on HR professionals around communication and, and, learning culture and all of these different aspects. So um, it's good now to really talk with a true communication professional and specialist and expert and uh, we're really excited um about having Donna Laughlin on today. Um I'll do a quick introduction and then we'll kind of dive right into it, but Donna is a founder podcaster, public relations strategist um and several other things <laughs> who has helped numerous businesses navigate the obstacles of Silicon Valley and early startup life. So, you know, the founder of Laughlin Michaels Group uh consultancy, which actually, if I'm not mistaken, has just celebrated its 20th year uh, anniversary. Um, So congratulations for that. Um, uh, Donna has, you know, great uh, experience and expertise when it comes to, yeah, these pre-IPO small scale ups um, and the journey around towards business uh, maturation. And I think this is really exciting for us to have the the PR side of this uh, come in and, and to discuss the communication aspects behind that. Um, she's focused with companies in some of the most disruptive industries such as augmented reality, automotive and transportation, artificial intelligence, uh, security, uh, wearables, and robotics. Um, her her consultancy has represented several well-known companies, including Damon, FireEye. Divergent, 3D, Checkpoint, um, and Scully Systems. And her podcast, which I highly recommend, Before It Happened, Capital IT, covers the fascinating uh, spark plug light bulb moments uh, that innovators have across several uh, industries. So I just actually listened to a couple episodes today. One was uh, coaching next-gen leaders with Jason Ma, which I found really interesting. Um, And there's another one around cured meats and all these different types of topics which are very fascinating but Donna thank you so much uh for joining us today um and my first question is really just you know if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and what was it about the communication the PR profession that kind of uh yeah caught your interest from an early stage
2: well thank you so much for having me on the show I'm delighted to be here you, know, you gave me quite a, a eulogy. And I was thinking, wow, did I do all that? Um, I guess I had. But since I was about 10 years of age, um, I was just fascinated and curious about how things work. I would uh, follow my father, who uh, ran a, a pre- publishing and printing printing company um, with his brothers. And so I had access to a lot of amazing uh, Books and newspapers and and um, authors and I would ask a lot of questions and of course I'd ask my father these questions and one day he said why don't you ask the questions so that was my entree into reporting and discovery and having conversations with people and they they would be ordinary you know uh, shop owners of the family. Uh, what we would call in America, mom and pop businesses, uh, restaurants and bakeries, but sometimes it would be a trip to a defense company or um, the early the early stages of Intel uh, or Dell computers and companies like that. Um, and so I would go on these little these little treks and uh, have these discovery d- interviews and stories. So I realized that when I was about ten years old, I wanted to be a news reporter. And so I pursued that. I, I was uh, the head of the school paper in high school for two years, constantly writing. Um, I would write anything, um, poetry and uh, reports and research papers and intercompetitions. And so I even poetry. Um, so just continuously just writing. And uh, and then I went to university and and studied more formally uh, economics, believe it or not, um, and then an undergraduate combination with journalism um, i was kind of geared to have a subject matter to talk about and i thought economics was fairly global in its perspective that it would allow me to understand not just people and cultures but also allow me to understand the impact of certain social economic uh you know um, vertical industries and and businesses so that was like an entree into and you know to my and into and my career but since then uh, I've launched more than 500 companies. I've stopped counting. Mm-hmm. Um, you rattled off a lot of different markets I've been in. I think one of the things I pride myself in is working with emerging markets. Oftentimes the markets before products exist. I was working with autonomous cars and autonomous robots and artificial intelligence before they were mainstream, before Oculus Rift was you know, in the store, before we heard of the Google you know, cars. Um, I was already in those segments, which is pretty exciting.
0: So you yeah. were a visionary. It's fascinating. No, I
2: I consider myself a a a thinker and not a tinker, but I get to work with the tinkers and the visionaries who are creating, um, you know, and see the future of where we not only where we are, but where we need to go. And as an example, I work with a crime-fighting robot company. I mean, whoever thought that you can create a robot? to prevent and protect, but that's not something I thought of. And I think that's one of the things that's exciting about the intersection of the Silicon Valley, but also the intersection of all the technologies that start converging together. And we think about the phone, our first phone that we had and generations today are, have grown up with a digital phone. My first phone was this giant mobile phone that could barely fit in my in my knapsack or or brief bag or purse. And you had to charge it on the every hour on the hour. And the cellular range was horrible. (laughs) And the first uh, good phone I had, I think I purchased in Japan on a business trip, and I brought it back to North America. And I was I was like a trendsetter. And so I think I don't think I'm a visionary, but I think I'm a little bit of a trendsetter because I had this phone and the phone had, had you know, it was, it was mobile, it was portable. Um, it didn't have a, a camera, which is probably everyone's favorite feature now. But ultimately, I I was an early adopter. And I think that's one of the things that we had to think about with technology and innovation. Are we adapting or are we adopting? And so one of the things that I constantly look at when I talk to technology companies, innovator companies, they'll open up their jacket and they'll show me all these gadgets, like the movie Inspector Gadget. Mm -hmm. And I immediately think, do we need that? Mm. Do I have that already? Or why do I want that? And so those are questions as consumers we should be asking ourselves. Is something like Alexis or Nest going to make our life better? Or is it going to make our life more chaotic? And if we're not asking those questions, then we probably shouldn't be buying those products.
0: That's an interesting reflection, and I wonder from the other side, from the from the the entrepreneur or the uh, the person that comes up with the idea. I wonder if sometimes with all these um, developments and breakthroughs, if it gets to a point where the market is not ready for your product, or if you can always find a story behind it. And, and with that, you can sell it. I don't know what you think.
2: Well, sometimes you're too late. Um, That's the other scenario. Um, So there's typically two categories, challengers and disruptors. The disruptors are the ones that are, you know, break, you know, new ideas that are, that are changing the entire, you know, industry or market segment. And the challengers are typically what we see are products that are challenging the incumbents. So we look at Tesla as an example because everyone seems to be enamored with with Tesla. But um, Tesla, it, it, I think, is you know is is a disruptor. But now everybody's challenging them, right? In the EV market, there were EV cars before Tesla. There are a lot better designed and more beautiful, aesthetically designed. Cars, electric cars than Tesla. In fact, I was amazed when I was at the Detroit Auto Show last year that Cadillac, a very classic American brand that almost you know disintegrated. I mean, the company itself has come out with one of the most beautifully designed cars. And the reason why I think it's such a beautiful design is that they actually brought people from around the world together To create something aesthetically beautiful, but also functionally sustainable. And so I think as a, when I talk about economic, uh, when when I studied economics, one of the things that I learned from that is that you can't look at the world through a lens within your own isolated zip code, or your own a country or in where I'm in mean, California I have to think about what are people in Ohio what are people in Indiana and what are people in the south thinking what's your reaction to these products and then I have to think if it's a product that's going to go overseas, how would the Asian market or interact and regate how will this product um, people respond to this product in Israel or how would they respond to it in, in in parts of eastern or Western Europe? so we have to have that that lens open. Um, it's a lot like a photographer. They look at the morning light is so important. You look at the morning light, you look at the textures of the afternoon light, and then you go back and you look at the evening light. They're going to be different every time. And I think that's one of the things as communicators that we need to do is that we need to look for different just positions of things. And I think in, in writing and creating the narrative or the positioning for a company we need to look at the best case scenarios, but we also need to look at the worst case scenarios.
1: Hmm. I, yeah, I love that kind of, sometimes it's it's great to have a goal for a thing that you want to do, but sometimes it's just as important to know what you don't want, you know, as a way to kind of guide you, guide you through that process. And so for myself, I'm totally ignorant about the the PR process, right? So I, as you you talked about kind of, you know, going in and, and writing the story about a company and, and how do you present that? How do you help launch a company in that way? Can you guys just like kind of take us through a really quick step by step of what does that process look like for you as a consultancy and you meet with company A? Um, what's kind of your first step? In terms of how you're assessing this company, are you kind of picking and choosing yourselves, the, the companies that you want to work with? Or, or how does that process go for you to eventually get to the point where you can communicate the story and communicate it in a way that, yeah, transcends cultures? I know that's a big question, but I, I'm really curious.
2: Well, I can be very selective now because I've, I've had my agency for 20 years, <laughs> and uh, which is exciting. But if I reflect back 20 years ago, I wasn't as could be as selective because I was just starting out and I was going to accelerators and I was going to these early um, kind of, I'm going to call them kind of like uh, startup um, entrepreneurial, you know, type of events and working, you know, with two guys and a, and a cat because they couldn't afford a dog, you know, type of scenarios that we are familiar with startups. But over the years um, I've used the same methodology and the methodology goes literally back to what I learned from, from my uncle's, before I even became a professional journalist is asking the questions that who, what, when, where the why, not Mm -hmm. how, but why. And the why is so important. Uh, There's uh, one of my favorite movies, um, you know, it it was emphasis is around the question. Why? And I don't know if, if your audience is wants to look up an old 1984, 85 movie, but when it came out, I was just enamored with it. But Um, Merchant Ivory uh, film, and I'm going to remember in a second, so bad, I forgot the name of the film. Um, (laughs) I can't believe I forgot the name of the film. Uh, But anyway, I'll get back to that in a second. Sorry. Um, But one of the things that people forget is why did they actually decide that they wanted to solve a problem? Hmm. Why were you chosen? Why did you wake up? One morning in middle of the night, or some weekend when you were, you know, at the beach and decided that you're going to, do, you know, you're going to make a crime fighting robot <laughs> or the fastest 200 miles per hour, 200 range electric motorcycle or a motorcycle helmet with augmented reality with the eyes basically in the back of your head. And how are you going to? make this come to fruition and bring it to life? So typically the conversation will start in a discovery, oftentimes a napkin or a whiteboard or just a pad of paper over coffee. Although I I drink water, I percolate slowly. <laughs> I And it's really asking fundamental questions. What were you curious about when you were a child? What did you read? What was your family upbringing like? Because people, as you get older, we we buffer those things and we put we file them, and we don't think that that discovery process. We think the discovery process started because you became an engineer, or you uh, you studied design, or you studied fashion, or whatever it is you studied. But your discovery process and your curiosities are, start at a very fundamental age, whether you played with Legos growing up, or if you're you know constantly in the library. All those types of environmental things impact your thinking and how you look at the world, right? I was constantly going to automotive shows, flying with my father. He was a pilot, and I'm a pilot. I became a pilot. um, Sitting on on crates, uh, being able to pilot a plane and, (laughs) and mechanically help solve problems help me understand mathematics and, and, and we talk a lot about STEM today. I think everybody, you know, has the capacity to learn how to program. It's just the levels of programming, which we learn. I'm not an engineer, not a programmer, but I have studied and worked with children who are both autistic and are highly, I would say near genius level simultaneously in the same room, doing programming. And building robots and was amazed is like how the human mind could adapt and how we can learn so for me it's looking and going through that discovery process and once we go through the discovery process then we can start mapping out stories so at the case of uh, a monarch tractor which is an electric tractor company which is a really exciting marketplace agriculture industry is getting electrified and that's important for us who want a healthy, sustainable food. The fossil fuels are no longer being used in the field. Pesticides are not being used in the field. We're reducing the carbon footprint within our communities and with the locale. We're actually working with, with um, a couple of companies that are looking at the indigenous people and how they farmed and Mm. how we can learn from that farming as we, Improve agriculture. So in those conversations, well, I ask obvious questions. What was your association with farming? Did you grow up? Were your grandparents? Were your father? And and what generations were farmers? Because most of us do have roots in farming. I grew yeah. up in in the valley, which was called the Land of Heart's Delight, which was agriculture. And then we put concrete on the land, and then we create products called Apple Computer. And I was like, What did we, we lose sight of our agricultural roots? And and so for me, it was a natural transition to have this conversation about agriculture that I literally put in my back pocket. I had my master's thesis on the democratization of the Farm Workers Union, which was a huge movement in California with Cesar Chavez in the 70s and 80s. And I was fascinated by that because how does one person move an entire generation of people to think different and to build pride and to actually put the food on our table, but be paid pennies. Going back to my economic roots and understanding what was happening there, I took that and I used that in my discussions and my story discovery with the tractor company. So going back to the roots, going back to the family, going back to history, going back to economics, agriculture has labor challenges. There's climate change challenges. There's economic reform. There's a uh, sustainability. It got to be very complex. How big the agricultural and, f- and farming challenge is. And when I go back to that question mark and the movie is called room with a view
1: room with a <laughs> oh, view. Okay. Man,
2: <laughs> I remembered um, I asked that question. Why, why are we having labor problems? Why, why is climate change in California on top of, the pandemic and the climate change and the labor and the uh, we also had fires. So fires right. impacted agriculture region up and up and down California. And California is a very large salad bowl for a, a majority of the United States and, and North America, including Canada. And we also export. I've been to Japan and I'll see California peaches. And California cherries and California apricots. And they're quite expensive. They're quite coveted. They're literally usually stacked up on pillars, you know, wrapped majestically in beautiful packaging and ribbons. And if you've been to Japan.
0: Oh, I haven't. I would love to.
2: So I have a little bit of a naughty story. I went to Japan and it paid 60,000 yen for a peach. That's $60. I've never spent $60 in a peach in my life. And I thought, wow, that's some peach. It must be the best peach. Well, it was a California peach.
0: <laughs> and I,
2: I was in Japan on business and I decided to buy this peach. And they wrapped it in three boxes and then put it in a bag with this beautiful ribbon. And I was feeling pretty good about this peach. I thought, wow, I'm going to have a really special lunch today. So I went to a little, uh, garden is in kind of a garden area and I start unwrapping the ribbons and the packaging and took it out and in the satin box was this beautiful peach and I thought wow I've never had and all the products and all the the companies I brought to market I never had quite this user experience or engagement and how important and I know the importance of products and, and our and how we engage with things and our excitement in our enlightenment that we have. I took the peach out. It was the best tasting peach I ever had, (laughs) but just to show you how important it is to understand the culture. when you're bringing a product to market, what I didn't know about this peach, it was a ceremonial peach. It was a peach that one should take to the Buddhist temple or to an elder or to, a, an homage to a, a burial site. It wasn't meant to be consumed at you know at 11 o'clock in the afternoon in a Zen garden in a beautiful Tokyo. So I, I learned from that. And how I learned from that is the head of sales for the company that I work with walked by me and he said, oh, Donna, he said, wow, you're having a very impressive lunch. And he sat down next to me and he told me culturally, it wasn't terribly taboo, but he told me culturally why one wouldn't do it. It was a nice way of saying that I shouldn't have done it. (laughs) And I learned from that. And I take that as well as I take things that I've learned in in working and traveling in Israel or in Latin and South America. And I stand back and I have to look at that when it comes to bringing a product to market. And that story is it, authentic? Is it tangible? Is it believable? And will it actually transcend cultures as well as will it transcend potentially generations? And a culture of inclusion and equity, and you talked about being HR month, Um, One of my guests coming up on my podcast is an expert on equity and inclusion in ESG. And I'm so excited for that interview and that conversation because Europe is fairly ahead of North America. And I think it's one of the things that we need to look at as the Zoomers and the millennials are the creators and the consumers of these products that we bring to market that we need to make sure that we're actually tapping into understanding them. So I'm curious what you've learned on that front, because I think that's inclusion and equity and that social, um, I'm going to call it social justice uh, is my own word of what people think. And the consciousness is so important with products.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, so, I mean, there's so many things in there that I I, I love, but probably the biggest one is that, there are these aspects, or these values, or these these kind of ideas that transcend cultures that everybody can associate with, right? Everybody can can link to. Um, I mean, things like upward mobility. You know, all like all the places where where I've lived. You know, I lived in Vietnam and Saudi Arabia, and everybody there wanted their children to do better than they did. I mean, that was just like you know basic. That's like a fundamental thing, right? Um, I think maybe how that looks, it's a little bit different and how you get to that goal is a little bit different. But that essence of of what people, you know, the, the things like that are, 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 I think, kind of transcend. I love your, what you said about the discovery process, though, of getting to that, right? Like to get get to that point is a discovery process of asking why um, and, and asking, you know, and really kind of digging down. Do you ever Kind of get to that point and then think, yeah, no, I'm not buying it, and 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 have to walk away. Does that happen more more often than not?
2: It does, and it, and I often will just give free counsel or advice of what needs to be done, or require a focus group to and to validate and kind of ensure that my instincts are serving me right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I never work with companies that. They're, you know, they're not, they're going to be one of 12 in the marketplace. Um, I'd like to work with the, the ones that are coming out of the gate and kind of create what I call a a unicorn, pre-unicorn, I call them acorns, <laughs> is exactly. planting seeds and growing the market and becoming this majestic, you know, oak tree. A uh, billion dollar unicorns are few and far between. And I think internationally, we have so many amazing Thinkers, I mean, there's organizations like the, you know, World Economic Forum, which is coming up in a few weeks, and and Davos, which we should be looking at um, for things around energy and sustainability and um, crypto and blockchain and all these new markets that are going to affect how we how we live. But I, I've had to say no, and it's hard to say no. It's easier to say yes than no. Uh, but I've I've when I do say yes, and a company comes to work with, you know, with me, uh, the LMG and Laughlin Michaels group actually stands for leadership, momentum, and growth. So Mm -hmm. I want to make sure that I can actually help them establish leadership, have a voice, be an authority. There could be multiple people, you know, within the company. Uh, And then the momentum becomes, and now you've actually launched the company, And where are you going within the marketplace? Oftentimes, companies come to me with a a bright idea, and then it's six months to a year before it even comes to market. I've also had companies come to me where they've hired prior PR agencies and their launch to market failed, and they needed to go back and figure out why. Oftentimes, it's not the PR agencies, um, you know, fault at all. Sometimes it's the the, the approach or the product uh, features and functionality just wasn't quite there yet Mm. uh, or just needed to look at it differently. And I think that's one of the the powers of what I created, which is called a narrative story engine is I look at six degrees of separation. I look at David and Goliath. I look at um, the founders, you know, passion and curiosities um, I look at like a Phoenix from the ashes, like was a company that almost went out of business, but now had this great idea. Right. And being able to go through that discovery process and look for the company story, look at the market and trend stories. So whatever happening, obviously in the past couple of years, people had to adapt a lot and, 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 put things on hold and we had supply chain issues. And so that brought up a whole other, you know, level of discussions and then looking at last but not least the customers and the consumer in, in, or if it's B2B, the business engagement. And then the last thing I really look at is the impact of the product, because we need to understand the company roots. We need to understand the trends and things that are happening. We need to understand what the customer feedback is and then the product functionality and features i'm i'm less worried about that than i am about the prior components mm-hmm. uh, and so taking go- and and this is not a one time one size fits all process i'm going through a process right now with a company we launched about 18 months ago they have competitors that they didn't have 18 months ago so now we need to go back and we look at things differently and we need to realign ourselves and we need to make sure that our impact statement is one that we can can continue to maintain the authority, but also reign and understanding and communicating to customers.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. That's super interesting. And I can see how the narrative is plays a big role in in how you market and position all these new products. I wonder. So you've been you've been doing this for for over twenty years or for twenty years and. I just wonder. I'm super curious to hear if you think there's been any changes in how we communicate, what we communicate. You were talking about how Europe has all these, or is you mentioned that it is more advanced in some perhaps social aspects of equity and diversity. I think the conversation is definitely um, becoming more popular in many places around the world, but I do see how it differs from from different areas. So, yeah. My, I'm very curious to hear what you think and what what the the perhaps the highlights or or the interests are now versus 20 years ago.
2: I think the biggest shift has been the, the platform tools that we use to communicate. Um, and, and I will admit it's also a little bit challenging for me. I have clients that want to work in Teams. I have clients that want to work in Slack. I have clients that want to work in Trello. I have other clients that want to work in uh, Basecamp, and it's like, whoa! Can we just have one platform that we can all communicate from? It's a little, a little daunting. Um, the other thing I've noticed in it's just in terms of communications, it well, and I forgot texting, right? And I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna turn it off. Mm-hmm. So when I drive, I turn it all off. I just want Good. to listen to music <laughs> um, or a podcast. Um, but i think millennials and the, the you know communicate much different than gen xers and so one of the things in my office that i had to learn and tune into was i would want to have a meeting and my team was comfortable sitting across from each other wearing headphones and having a chat but if i wanted to get them into a conference room to have like a creative brainstorm they were resistant but I've, I've, they would bring their computers and their headphones into the conference room, and have a conversation. I'm like, "But you're right there." <laughs> so um, I noticed that the Zoomers that I have in my group, which are my interns, are not that are, are not collaborating that way. They're ba- they're actually more like the Gen Xers and the and the and the the Boomers, and they are want to be. Um, they're, they're very much more um feeling and um, want to engage and i think the pandemic's been really hard on them because a lot of them are just either been in college or they're coming out of high school to go to college and even my own daughter is doing an internship and she's doing it remote yeah. who's ever done a remote internship i mean i did so many internships and editorial to become a writer that i can't imagine ever doing those remote so i think the zoom digital a uh, platform world that we lived in that we live that we I say we live, we live in. <laughs> we're still living in it. Um, it has definitely been a challenge in bringing com- companies to market. Editors are actually not writing as many stories. They're writing less frequently. They're working from home. They're working with their kids, they're working with their dogs. So I think one of the things that PR needs to have a lot more of is patience. Mm. The stories are not going to be coming out as frequently as they once did. The patience in uh, bringing uh, technology and products to market. I went to CES 2022 this year. It was very low attended after not a previous year was 2021. The show didn't exist. Um, I know with uh, some of the European shows and I talked to the editors that I, I work with. And they were also very low attended, but the editors were working remotely using Zoom and other digital platforms to file stories. So I think uh, in the peace, love, and understanding kind of John Lennon world that (laughs) that sometimes we have to reset things and look at them again. You know, we're in a different pace and a different time, and I, I I'm a little I went with little patience in terms of I want a new story and I want it now and I want it you know mm-hmm. this week, but I've had to learn that things are going a little slower, and yeah. so I think that's one that that's one aspect. The other aspect is I think in every era and generation there's a new um, rush and uh, and a dynamic for creating and you know new products. So I'm hoping from the pandemic we're going to see a whole new onset of products that will be meaningful that will, that will factor in consciousness and care and compassion. Um, at CES, I saw a lot of wellness and health products. I saw a lot of products learning and STEM education products for kids. And I don't recall seeing those types of things at a consumer electronics show. Usually it's the televisions and it's the consumer gadgets. And, but I thought, well, the next generation, the, Two generations from now in 20 years, when they're you know, purchasing products, hopefully the product psyche and the, the decision to buy a product is going to be based on thoughtfulness and, and uh, the engagement in that, that typically takes a long time, maybe is factored in from the beginning. And I, I think that's one of the things is expectations, is that consumers, we have pretty high expectations of how things should work. Even the microphone that I'm 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 using, uh, I have three. I went to three trials of microphones, so I found one that actually I thought met my expectations. But I shouldn't have to buy three. I should be able to read an article and get the you know ample reviews and feel confident about something. But I think we as individuals have responsibility in sharing that feedback. If you buy a product and you don't like it or it doesn't work as advertised or performs, then we as consumers do have the right to be able to share that insight. I think companies, you know, companies like Apple computer pride themselves and their, their cultish, you know, developer consumer, uh, phenomena that they've created. If you go into an Apple store, it's very different than if you go into a Microsoft store, or if you go into a big box store, or if you go into even the technology section, say at, at, uh, Herods in, in London, or if you go into in the center of Tokyo, each one of those experiences are going to be different. But I, I think I know when you shop. Um, what do you shop? What What are you thinking about when you go buy a new phone or a new um, appliance for your for your home? What What what's your thought process?
0: I think that's an interesting question. I tend to go for the. I'm a big Apple fan, and I know I'm such a. <laughs> um a marketing product uh for sure but i wonder so i i don't know and i i wonder if you agree but i see i work in marketing so i i see how for the for the past few years the way we've been communicating about products is that everything is the best and the the two tips that will make you a million dollars and the the product that is going to change your life and the diet that is going to make your body perfect and so we've been really hyping we've been using this exaggerated uh vocabulary and i see how me as a consumer i i do start to get tired of that vocabulary and i tend to go more for okay i don't need the perfect product i just need something that works and that works for me so i just wonder if pr and marketing will start to go back to that being a little bit more honest about what we're buying and what we're selling um the honesty
2: i mean trust and in, in brand is important right <clears throat> i have a list of dirty words um revolutionary breakthrough um cutting edge unmatched prove it you need to prove it to me before you start using those words right and, and i think that that's important there's um user expectations are, are high and and i think you know if you go look at the automotive industry, there's a reason why people test drive cars. They want experience, right? I like sports cars. I've, I used to race. I raced go-karts and then I raced Formula One. So I know what a dashboard should feel like. I know what that experience should feel like. I'm not going to be, I don't race now. I have the desire to race. I've been on the Autobot. It was so fun and exciting. But I want my car to dashboard to really look and feel luxe. The British have always made beautiful dashboards. The Italians as well. I get into a Tesla and I go, eh, "Where's my dashboard? It's minimalistic." And and, and so I was. I mean, I I've downsized my life in many ways and, and 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 minimized things. But there's still something to say about a beautiful, sexy dashboard or leathers. You know, seats that actually. What I love about brands like Stella McCartney and making products that feel like leather, but they're not sustainable. And I saw that recently uh, in at the car show that companies are not using leather. They're using new materials that are beautiful and luxury. And so you forget the feeling of a luxury brand, but any more of an economy price. So I, I think one of the, the challenges that I think anybody who's listening uh, on, on this podcast is look at the world differently than maybe you did today. Look up instead of down. Mm. Most people don't look up. They even did a movie. Don't look up. But (laughs) my idea of look up as a pilot, I have to look up. I have to look. I don't have a rear view mirror. I can only look forward and I can look left and I can look right and I can go up and I can go down. Photographers also look at light differently. So if we look at, look up, and we look at things differently from a different perspective, look at through the eyes of a child, look at through the eyes of an elder, look through an eyes as someone of a different country. Then you start realizing, as you're talking about honest, is this a brand that I actually, you know, is true and honest and essential for my lifestyle. Yeah. And I think, and I, and I, and oftentimes, when I was working with a lot of cybersecurity companies, I am, um, Cybersecurity and security protection is so important. I don't have data, data data, you know, servers and 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 a data center in my home or my or, or my office. Uh, but I appreciate and respect that. But with consumer packaged goods, particularly, you know, I'm a bit of a sponge. I like to try things. Um, I will say I'm not enamored with Alexa. Uh, I worked <laughs> with a robotic company that became the voice, the basically the the it was a humanoid robot that used Alexa. Um, And so it's basically the the humanized Alexa and the casing side of things. I don't need somebody to follow me around. That's a little creepy. It's a little too futuristic, you know, Ray Bradbury um, out there. And I also don't want to live in a Wally world, which is very disconcerting. In fact, I have a guest coming up on my podcast this week, um, Deb Donick, and she talks about the whole tech human factor and the, uh, the responsibility and the humanization and the equity in technology. That's a totally different discussion that I was just enamored by.
1: Yeah, no, that's, I mean, it, it's, that's such a huge topic, right? And, and I think it's one that, like you said, we're, we're looking forward and and in that our a multitude of questions that we hadn't even thought of yet. Right. So these are all questions based on ideas that, you know, couldn't come until we had the ideas and, 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 concepts that we have now. Right. And it's this continuation. And, and I think what I really feel like I've, I've taken away from everything you've said today is, is that, that continuation of those core kind of fundamental, uh, concepts that, that, go across cultures that go across industry and and lifestyle and and yeah honesty and and brand is is exactly that i mean things that are impact us all like yeah honesty sustainability and i i think that's a it's it's very very interesting that we've talked so much on this podcast right about you know the the w questions who what when where why right with why being the 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 big one um and and that coming down to forming the motivation um so i i, I think everything that you've said today is is super fascinating um yeah i could i you know i could keep going for for hours <laughs> but i want to be of course mindful of your time paula do you have any uh final questions
0: no, this was great. I really love how you just mentioned again and, and highlighted that the importance of the why, like we sometimes forget why, why we're doing things like, yes, because, you know, it's easy to to forget. So pausing and stepping back and really thinking about it. And then from there, trying to do that that discovery and finding a story. I thought that was brilliant. That was one of my favorite takeaways.
2: Well, I think we should... And- this great res- resignation era that we've seen the past couple of years, people have been asking why. And I think it's one of the reasons I started my podcast was before it happened was because I wanted to talk to the other cu- the curiosity thinkers and the futurists and the visionaries that I'm not necessarily working with. Um, There's maybe 10% of my guests are actual clients. The rest are just people in my network or people. I, I reach out to um, books that I've read that I'm just fascinated with. And being able to showcase um, and, and and share their why and is you know be, I even thought about calling it why it happened, but it's before it happened, which is that moment when they decided they were going to do this. I'm also beginning my book, um, which I'm excited about, and and it's a love, it's another labor of love, um, which will be a book about how to be your own PR agent, so you can hire me to help you with your brand, or even it's your own personal brand, or personal persona. Or you can read the book. And I think that the book is, I'm very excited about it because it's going to be basically a companion that's going to help you be a kind of a life coach with your own personal brand, which is important in establishing and building your career, but also your product and go-to-market brand if you are an entrepreneur and have a product or service. So I, I think I finally have enough wisdom in my back pocket to share. What's the title? Fantastic. I don't have a title. I have a book coach and an agent, and it's in works.
1: Oh well, oh, I'll I'm, have to come I'm, back. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm gonna just circle right here Donna's book before it happened, <laughs> right here, just so uh, yeah, just so we can come back to that because I I definitely need a a personal PR coach. So I know you're busy, but I'll I'll be sure to check out the, the book uh when it comes out. And 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 for everyone, yeah, the, the podcast is great. And I love the idea of meeting with all these innovators and, and that, yeah, that spark plug, that point of of, you know, that why, you know, and, and 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 when did that when did they come up with that? Um I think that's that's a really fascinating point. Um where can people reach you? How can people find you uh for our listeners out there?
2: Well, the podcast is Before It Happens show on Instagram. Um, my favorite place to hang out is LinkedIn. Uh, so I'm going to connect with you uh, on LinkedIn as well. But it's just Donna Laughlin, and that's L-O-U-G-H-L-I-N. Um there, I post a lot of things about public relations and, and wisdom. I also have a, um, articles in, in Forbes magazine, um, so I can be found there. But um, LinkedIn is in... And before it happens, show on Instagram are probably the two best places. If you're really thirsty for some, uh, from PR advice, you can email me or message me, you know, in, in, LinkedIn and more than happy to share with your, with your audience any wisdom, um, and, and feedback.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Donna. Um, I mean, for your time today, so many great gems, I think in the conversation, and I know I took away a lot, um, Yeah, thank you. Uh, Thank you as well, Paula, um, as always. Um, So, Everybody listening, go check out Before It Happened. And when the book comes out, we will be sure to uh, share it with all of our followers on um, LinkedIn and Instagram. Um, so I'm looking forward to that one. I'll um, well, send my- you
2: copies. You can give hey. some away.
1: <laughs> all right. Awesome. Awesome. Looking forward to it. Um, great. Well, uh, to all of our listeners out there, thank you so much for tuning in. And thank you again, Donna. Thank you, Paula. Um, and as always, everybody, keep learning.
0: And that's all we have for you today. We hope you enjoyed it and remember to subscribe to Talera Talks. We'll be back soon with more.
1: And visit our website at talera.com for more valuable content on business English. You can also request a free consultation on the best ways for you and your team to improve your communication skills.
2: So have a great day and keep learning.